You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. friends, welcome to episode 14 of Storyteller Conclaves, the show all about helping you run your best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I am Sarah. And I'm Rob. We only have our standard Patreon update. Uh, it is still live, and we are still looking for show support. Uh, we appreciate our Patreon members. And every time we we see another person add on, it just it makes us happy to know that there are people out there who are enjoying this as much as we are. Absolutely, absolutely. And we thank you all for so much for your support. I and we love seeing the orange names in in Discord. Yeah. Honestly. Like all the great discussion that, that takes place on the Discord, your your name becomes orange there, so everybody can see that you are a supporter of the show. Yep, and uh, uh, we just we love we love seeing those 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 numbers grow. Thank you. Yeah, and we understand for the people who aren't supporting us, it doesn't mean you're still helping us with the show. Every time you make a comment, every time you add a question, those things help us find definitions and things we can do because we can't think of everything. Yep. And we can't know what you guys want us to talk about. So we try and uh, do it. And like today's show kind of came out of a lot of discussion that we had seen and we kept setting it off because of how big it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a this is a daunting topic. Yeah. This is a really daunting And we know topic. today's show is not the end of it. It this is, is – this is going to go on for some time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tip, tip of the iceberg here and we're going to deep dive little bits of it further as we go on. But uh, today we're going to start this discussion about campaigns yes. and, and writing them specifically. Yes. Yeah. We're going to focus on the storyteller for the most part mm-hmm. uh, for our next couple of shows and kind of walk through – what can be a seriously daunting task when you when you get an idea where something inspires you and you're like, yeah, I want to run a game, but I want to run a game that's not pre-content, that's not that's mm-hmm. not a book content, that's not a module that somebody else created. Like, how do I step into this? Right. How do right. I how do I eat this elephant? And and you want you know you want all sorts of plot twists and stuff like that. Maybe you're an avid fan of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I know this was like a, a real big thing for me as I saw. Uh, you know, the popularity of Game of Thrones was really something that actually kind of daunted me was I was like, I I, I will never write like this. I mean, season, season eight excluded, season eight excluded. Um, but, you know, specifically, you know, the George R. R. Martin, you know, content, the Song of Fire and Ice, where I, I wanted all these, you know, political intrigue and in, interactions and stuff like that. And I kind of had to step back from it and just go, hold on. First off, you're not George R. R. Martin. No. And second off, that book did not get written overnight, you know. So oh, just, God, no. Step back and just yeah. Let's take be it. honest. There are books that haven't been finished. Exactly, exactly. So, so. The, the 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 starting question mm-hmm. that we want to open this discussion with is: How do you eat an elephant? Well, with small bites, one bite at a time. That's right. Exactly. That's right. You can get through it. Uh, I've heard so. of a guy who ate a whole airplane. A whole airplane. He, he did it. Is he okay? Yeah. He's actually eaten other things, but his whole thing is is small. You just take it small. But he wanted to be a guy who ate an airplane. I'm dead serious. I have so many questions. I know, but not, for, but not here. I know. Not here. I know. I know. I know. 
Let's just talk about the, we won't talk about the passing. We're just going to talk about the eating part. Thank you. So. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners. This is now a show about eating airplanes because <laughs> this is going to consume the next hour. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some interesting Discord questions. We'll go from there. Oh, yeah. But anyways, we're going to start small. We're going to start simple. We're going to start at the beginning um, and not necessarily the beginning that kind of that we think of um, because inspiration comes from all kinds of places. And you're the reason why you're getting into writing a campaign or a story or wanting to write something can come from all kinds of angles. So we we could talk about where you should start with theme or where you should start with this, and really that's that's inspiration. We're going to talk about the things that you that we want to focus on as far as what makes a good campaign. What what are the small things that we've been doing for the last twenty years mm-hmm. that we don't we didn't recognize? And realistically, I started doing that over a month ago. I was kind of scared of this episode in a way. Oh, because I'm still scared of this yeah, episode. Because I'm it, sitting right here. Yeah, it had been a while since I had physically gone out and written stuff besides physical stories. I'd written some some story things. I'd I'd done NaNoWriMo a few times mm-hmm. and it's been a while since I've had to write things and because of some personal stuff, I hadn't been running anything. And so looking at like not only getting back to running my campaign uh, that I've got that is going to come back around um, and getting into other games, I started going, oh crap, I got to get back to writing. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of started pulling back some of my old information and grabbed some books from a friend about writing and really started to dive and used this as a wedge in my mind of saying, okay, let's, let's see what makes good story. Let's see what, what do we do that makes good story. And as I started tearing it apart, I was realizing how many of the little things that I kind of just take for granted that I do. Yeah. Yeah, and, I you uh you, you brought some of those materials to me the other day when we were discussing you know putting together the uh the, the topic sheet and stuff like that you mm-hmm. know we're getting getting our notes down so that we can we can do the show today mm-hmm. and um you showed me one or two of those uh those uh videos and one of them was like seventeen minute long TED talk and stuff like that That's one fantastic. of them was a, was this really great deep dive into this like the Dan Harmon you know yep. wheel story wheel yep. thing. And it's like the, the, the whole steps of like every story goes through. It's like these eight point things. And I'm like, yeah. this is complete BS. Like this, this doesn't <laughs> help me. Like, like you're really super jazzed about this. And like I'm sitting here on the other end biting my tongue going, I, I don't want to be the one to tell you this is completely useless to me. And that was, I, by the way, that was her exact words after, after I was like, so did you watch it? And she's like, yeah, I have no idea what the hell you just sent me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe you'll give me a different perspective on it. And and we talked it out a little bit. And I realized the reason I was having that that reaction to it was because it was all stuff that I took for granted. Yeah. And it was like one, once he started saying, okay, you remember in your game when this happened? And I said, yeah. Said, okay, that was the beginning of the journey. Yeah. Now remember when what happened when the NPCs did this? And I was like, oh, shoot. That was the plot hook. And then yep. this is yep. the next step. And yep. this the is turn. the next Okay. Yep. 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 And then you guys had to fight this, but there was a plot twist because it wasn't what you thought initially. And it was and... everything you did naturally. Exactly. Or, and it's come from years mm-hmm. of learning. And it's it's the whole like I'm a swordsman, but I never learned from a master. So yep. I look sloppy. I have uh, I have all kinds of uh, crazy methods for doing things. It's because I found these things function and work. But it's not because I had a scientific background or I went through an academy or anything like that. It's just the way I did things and because they worked, 
I continued doing those things and perfecting them. To quote Julia Roberts from The Mexican, somehow you have forest gumped your way through this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so we're going to break down some of the stuff that we do. And we're going to try to save you guys all 25 years of failing upwards. <laughs> at least partially in this episode. Right. And give you some shortcuts. So. And at the same time, we're going to be interested to see – what of this you pull out and what things are different in your mind. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah. after we're done with this, by all means, go into the Discord. Talk po- about it. Post bring show it up. Discord's always please, the best. Please, please. Add some extra questions because, again, we're not done with this by oh, any yeah, means. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that um that came out of that TED Talk and I thought it was probably the best way that it said and I've read it before um, and, and, and one of them said it perfectly, which was life is stranger than fiction. Because fiction needs to make sense. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a plot or a narrative shape, then it won't be interesting. And I kind of was like, it's fiction. And then I went, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because when we tell our stories, we need to make sure that our players understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And some of that just it, – it needs to have procedure. Um, one of my players will constantly tell – constantly looks at me with this look of like, does this make sense? And I, I think about it like he's a judge that mm-hmm. sits in my table because I know if it doesn't make sense to him, I'm screwed, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And and so I use that as a bar sometimes in my mind is that the players have to understand what's going on in the story. You know, the world has to make sense. The story has to make sense. It can make sense in completely goofy ways. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean you can have floating mountains. That's fine. Sure. But just as long as you understand that floating mountains are a thing. Yes. Then it just has to be consistent. Co- it's correct. consistency, not accuracy that you're right. looking for. Right. So when you're when you're thinking about your story, no matter what the story is, no matter what, what inspires you, mm-hmm. remember that it needs to make sense. In the end, if – if the core of everything you're doing in your story, your campaign, whatever, has a core point of does this make sense to more than just you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because you may have all of this history in your brain of what's going on really in the world. If it doesn't make sense to the players at the core level, it's it's going to be lost. Yep. It's not going to be interesting. Now, uh, I'm going to segue just briefly here. Sure. Are you familiar with a term um, in your line of business called uh, rubber duck debugging? Yes. <laughs> the it, for, for those of you who do not know this, uh, when you're coding, um, uh, you basically – at the end of your code, you have to uh, figure out how it's running. And there's a lot of different methodologies for this. But the simplest one is the rubber duck method and that is where you literally explain what your code is doing step by step to a rubber duck. And if you stumble during that process and cannot explain it, perhaps you should put the duck down and go back to your code. Yep. <laughs> uh, and so I would I would say that probably the same thing kind of applies yeah. to your plot. Like yeah. if 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 you can just give me a plot, like if you can summarize your plot to a rubber duck and saying it out loud, yeah, just to yourself and hearing yourself say it, yeah, um, and it still makes sense to you, then you're you're probably on the right track. I I would agree. I would agree. I would agree. Okay. Another thing that came up through our discussions was a very simple design. Now, people will go crazy with themes and directions and hooks and and other things. But remember that your players themselves are going to be their own people. Mm -hmm. But they have to have one thing and that is either the villain or the players need to have desire. Okay, there has to be that in there. And granted, sometimes it's as simple as your players are yearning to kill something. Mm -hmm. Like you take the bad guy out, kill the dragon, slay the whatever, save the whatever. But that, that desire has to be there. 
there there are obstacles that you're going to throw in there. You love those players, but you're going to give them obstacles. That's that's the way the game goes. Conflict breeds wonder. Conflict breeds drama. That's and right. Wonder, yes. So when you're looking at that, that simple design lends yourself to everything moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of where where I think the, the the best starting point with the plot. You know, if you're going if you're going to be writing a campaign, you're gonna you want something big that's gonna span several game sessions and stuff like that. You know, kind of like going back to the whole Song of Fire and Ice George R. R. Martin thing is like you know it, you're not going to start by saying there's a bunch of you know this going on and there's just political intrigue and there's these backstabbing over here and this betrayal over no no you don't you don't do that. You start with either the heroes want something, there is an obstacle or a villain standing in their way from getting it. Yeah. Or the villain wants something and the heroes have to stand in their way from them getting it. Correct. Or period. After that, it's all just plot twists. Yep. After that, it is all just plot twists. I mean realistically, there's a goal. There's a reason for the goal. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's an antagonistic theme of either society, interpersonal, or internal. Yep. Okay. And that's it. And then that creates scenes. That creates conflict scenes that lead from one to the next to the next to the Mm -hmm. next. So you're always wanting to make sure that you have that base code down, that the characters or the villain yearns for something to happen because of a reason. It has to make sense. And then there are obstacles. That's it. You you follow that formula and your stories will roll. Yep. Whatever it may be. You know? I mean, it's funny to say it, but you can do all you can do social, you know, plots that way. You can do fighting plots that way. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter. As long as you have those elements, you are gonna do just fine. All right, so Story structure. Oh, boy. Okay. Now, here's where we start getting into, like, shop talk and, like, really deep stuff. Yeah, because – all right. I'm assuming that those of you who've done story writing before think about it in the act structure, the typical Sid Field paradigm, uh, which is the three-act structure, the rise, the mid, the fall. Mm -hmm. Okay? And it's, you know, 30 percent of your story is act one where you have the build. Then you have your conflict in the middle, which is 50% of your story. Mm-hmm. And then you have the resolution, which is the last 20% of your story, you know, that wraps up all the endings. That is the standards writing style that literally everybody used. Dan Harmon turned that on its head because it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. because it doesn't help the writer with that whole freaking midsection. Like so many people have a great beginning and many people have a wonderful close. But if you get to that middle section – you're kind of off figuring out what you're going to do. And for some people, it comes natural. But mm-hmm. literally for most writers, it's confusing as hell. Like, yes, my players have a conflict. They need to find the chalice because it will save, you know, the prince's son who is dying of this disease. Mm-hmm. Great. That's what they're yearning for. The conflict is that the villain wants the ch- has the chalice and has always had the chalice. Great. Second act, it's what? Just go fight 
the villain because we're supposed to have conflict in the second act, but that's supposed to be half of my story. How do I make exactly go punch the guy half of my story? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Resolution. We get the chalice and come home. Right. Great. That's fantastic. Right. What kind of growth is in there? I mean, you know? it, sounds, it sounds like a great plot for a one shot, but not for a campaign. Exactly. So where do you go from there? And that's kind of where Dan Harmon's model comes in is it yeah. kind of explains and fills in a lot of the, the steps in the middle yeah. where – uh, you've got complications yeah. to that quest and where growth in your main character or characters takes right. place. And Sarah brought up when we were, when we started into this and I, I kind of gave her all this data and, and then blew her mind, said like, we're not writing a, ra- a story on rails. Yeah, I you said know, you're not this is great if you're writing a book or a screenplay. I right. said, but th- this doesn't, this doesn't apply because it's always, it, it always kind of refers to like, you know, the hero. Right. Well, look, I've got six people at my table. I right. don't know about you. Right. You know, and they're all the hero and they're all on different journeys technically. I mean, they're part of the same party, but they've all got different motivations, different measures of success. Right. But the whole the 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 story mentality still follows. Mm-hmm. And your plot is a story that you're guiding the players through by putting them through scenes and conflict. So when you when you look at something like that, and you want to have something that has meaning and flow, the circle helps you as you're working on the story. Yeah, you you know the beginning and the end pretty much. I mean, again, your players can go whatever direction they want, mm-hmm. but you still are guiding them through the story by giving them these conflict points. And we promise we will put the a good image of this circle up, this Dan Harmon circle. But effectively, the way that it works is it starts at the top of the circle with your players basically being established, you know? You, you're, you're building who they are. They then have a need and that need isn't something that's right. There's something shifted in that need which then has them go handle it. You know, it the need is the chalice. The chalice, they don't have it. Mm-hmm. So they need to go get it because it's going to save the, the son of the, the prince, right? So now they have to cross the threshold and go get it from the villain. Now, granted – they're heroes. They're having to go steal something. So there's something already off with that. Mm-hmm. You know, why does he have it that nobody else has it? Well, maybe they're not stealing it. Maybe they're bargaining for it. Maybe they're purchasing it. They don't know it. yet. Who they got to go get but, it. But that's part of the complication. Right. You know? So then they start searching. And maybe mm-hmm. they find – and this is where you say, OK, well, maybe in the finding of it, they find out that really that chalice doesn't belong to the to the king and that it doesn't actually belong to the people. It does belong to this guy who's had it. Mm-hmm. It's been his. He's had it because it's his family's resurrection chalice or whatever. So now they have to find that, which it is, get to it and maybe steal it at that point, deal with the take. Now, the take is always the hardest part because the take involves the hardest point of the conflict and often has a problem that creates the return. Mm-hmm. The take is maybe someone is lost in that. Maybe in the take you discover that to get the chalice a life must be taken. The whole like, uh, you know, um, guardians moment there, where it was like, okay, you want the soul stone? Guess what? Mm-hmm. There's a turn, and so that return brings you brings your players back to what they need to do, and they realize coming back there's a cost. Now there's a cost before they can end that story arc and bring it in. So the changes is, do we save the prince? At the cost of one of us mm-hmm. or at the cost of somebody. 
you know, and they have to deal with that loss and bringing themselves back to who they were, you know, and that is a story circle. Now we've just created this ultimate story, but we're not forcing the players through it at any point. In that circle, things could change. There could be an alteration. There could be something that they do that changes it. But by looking at the circle and moving through it and understanding all of those moments that as you step through, you're helping yourself become part of the storytelling. You're mm-hmm. not just letting willy-nilly moments occur now, you know, and not have a story. You're not just walking them from room to room through a dungeon. Now, the the important thing here too is that rather than just having conflict, you are you're you're putting a challenge in front of them. You're not just saying get the chalice, right? But you're putting a cost attached to it, and I think mm-hmm. the cost is the important thing because it, what it does is it it puts a choice in front of your players. Yeah. Okay. And when you're when any character has a choice to make, you see character revealed. Yes. And so they will weigh the options of you know no matter what that cost is you know in our hypothetical example here it's you know you must you, you have to spend a life to acquire the chalice of some sort okay right. so now now i guarantee i guarantee at this moment in your game the players are sitting around arguing whose life what the value of a life is right if it's worth it I mean they're probably trying to figure out, well, how much life is a life? Like mm-hmm. do we have to go find a dragon and trick it? You know, do we do we go steal a soul? You mm-hmm. know, something is it, like that. Is it a willing life or can we just kill somebody? Exactly. Or, exactly. You know, et cetera. I mean, and you're gonna have you're you're gonna have a philosophical discussion about mm-hmm. the nature of life at your at your 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 tabletop. And you're going to see some character revealed. Yeah. You're going to see some of your characters go, well, life is cheap, whatever. Let's just kill some dude right. who will know the difference. And you'll have other people going, no, this is not right. Yeah. Life is precious, et cetera, et cetera. And you'll, you'll see a lot of those. And, and then possibly you're going to have some people make some tough decisions. Yeah. And they're going to have to challenge what they – some some character assumptions. And that's where a lot of your character growth happens. Yeah. And again, this is just – one simple arc where we're showing that circle and you we're hitting points along it to help guide the story and mm-hmm. that's a simple that is a simple description that we just did yep and you can use this methodology to help you move through now the granted some of this stuff comes naturally to people because they've written stories before and they kind of know the flow but for someone who's brand new this is somewhat mind blowing, but again, like showing this between myself and Sarah, and I, like it blew my mind. I'm like, I do a lot of this stuff organically. Yep. I don't think about that I've done it. But even looking at this, it helped me remember like there are times when I've forgotten this. Mm-hmm. When I've just gone back to go beat up a bunch of orcs. Yeah. And it's boring and nobody likes that because it's uninteresting. They'll try and find something interesting in it that you're burying, but realistically, you're not. Well, especially nowadays too, where we've got we we do have a, a pretty strong prevalence of gaming and social media and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, uh, I mean, just just searching Dungeons and Dragons on YouTube, you're going to get millions of videos right yeah, there. Yeah, you know? totally. And so it's very easy to get lost in the whole what's a good dungeon design, what's a fun way to use a monster and stuff. Like right, that. right. And sometimes we start we you know we 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 lose sight of. Why we're doing it, right? And we're just focusing more on what are we doing? Yeah, because it's window dressing. Hey, it would be fun to fight a dragon. Well, that's great, Rob. But why are we fighting right. a dragon? What is this dragon doing here? What's you know? Yeah. What, what am I gaining from fighting this dragon? Like, what would for those of you who know Skyrim as a game? It's an open world game. Imagine if in Skyrim there were no quests. 
There was nothing guiding you from point to point to point in a quest. Mm -hmm. You were literally like, yeah, those people talk. Yes, they tell you that there are wares to buy. Yes, you know that the king is the king, but literally he doesn't. You know, there's he he might say, yeah, my son is. You know, it's like you know, you could ask him like, where's your son? Oh, my son's here, and that's it. Fun. I mean, you could go visit his son mm-hmm. and find out that he's a jerk to somebody, but there's nothing that's helping through the story. What the quests do are pushes they push you into that story circle. They start you on that path. Someone has a need, right? And something is stopping you from getting, getting that need. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's that it is the basics of a story, and mm-hmm. so even if you're currently running. A dungeon-heavy game where literally your your adventurers are just that. They're spelunkers. They're going into crypts. They're stealing things, you know, and you want to just add some flavor. You want to give them a bit of story. Try this. Try adding something. Try a simple story that's in there. Maybe one of the so, – maybe a sword that they pick up is a magical sword that is actually intelligent. And it wants to take care of a problem. Maybe it, maybe the soul that's in it really wanted to murder somebody. So it has a need. It needs to do that. And, and the players obviously have an interest in that because they're like, wait, who is this guy? Oh, he was a horde leader. Oh, so he has a lot of gold? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now the players know what they're going to get out of this. I'm just immediately thinking of the sort of Kaz. There you go. <laughs> who does it want to kill? Vecna. Oh, okay. That's uh, so you know nobody important. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then from that point forward, start the circle. Mm-hmm. Literally, just keep it out and move through your campaign using the circle. Mm-hmm. Add little elements. Let them do the standard stuff. Even use the you know use the standard you know uh, goblin architecture of of putting bad guys in rooms together. But add little story elements to finish off that story. Make it a little challenging. Work your way around the circle and see how it changes your game. If you are an existing storyteller and you're already doing things, grab it. See if this stuff fits into what you're doing today and see if you're maybe missing something in the steps. Maybe maybe there's something that you skip over that you don't realize you're doing. Try adding it back in. You know, See how it moves you through your story. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got your campaign structure. You've mm-hmm. got your storytelling structure, I should say. Yes. Okay, so we, we all kind of know that the, the hero's journey now. Like I said, we will be putting this up on, up on the Discord if you want to look at it. We promise. Um, so we, you can do this on the small scale or you can do this on the big scale. Okay, this works really whether you're doing a campaign mm-hmm. over the course of several game sessions, totally, or if you're doing this more episodic as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because serialized, yeah, serialized, um, because you can you can do short little, you know, I mean, it's it's basically a one shot structure. You sure. need something, you have conflict over it, yep, and you have a resolution at the end, you yep. know, um, so it's it's perfectly scalable about that. Now, I mean, the barmaid has rats in her sewers. Or rats in the cellar. Mm-hmm. She can't take care of them, but has money. Okay, the players want money. There are rats. Go level one fighter. Take Boom. care of your dagger. Yes, exactly. Go take care. <laughs> that is the simplest of story design, yep. but it doesn't mean that it can't be interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps those aren't rats. 
and there's your twist and you know or perhaps the rats are perhaps there's something else down there and that's the reason why the rats are there. drawing the rats right right yes exactly maybe somebody else has let the rats in mm-hmm you know so all sorts of uh, uh it, like I said it's it scales perfectly yep big scale small scale and then you're on your larger scale you're going to have a lot of smaller scale conflicts along the way yep. because part of that journey is you know the the journey to the to the thing yep. and then you know the hardships you face along the way yep. and you may find that you've got smaller little circles inside your bigger campaign circle exactly exactly so some things to keep in mind some things to stay focused on if you will um as you're working on the scale of either of them because this is huge and it is daunting and it is easy to lose focus. It is so easy to lose focus. I'm going to say one thing that stood out the most when I was reading – when I was watching the videos is uh, – and it's it's not on our list here and I wish I would have put it in there as a reminder because it hit me on the head was put your butt in the chair. Oh, yeah. You are a storyteller. To tell a proper story, you need to sit down and write it. You need to you be you need to be committed to it, okay? And, but you don't need to be committed to what you're writing. It's nothing is perfect. You want to if this episode sucks, scrap it, mm-hmm. retcon it completely, make it a dream, do do something, get rid of it. Just but don't stop. Do another one. Every story is a failure, but the writer is the one who is not stopped by failure. And that makes them fearless. I love that quote. Mm-hmm. I love that quote. When I saw that, I was like, oh my god, that is so true. So when you keep writing for your players, regardless of how crappy you think it is, they don't. Mm-hmm. They're engaged. They're there with you. Writing is rewriting. That is constantly being told. Nothing is ever the final. You know, and I think we talked about this in a, in a previous episode when we were talking about uh, uh, just gaming styles and stuff like that. Um, I don't remember where in the discussion it was. But okay. we talked about our, our post-game breakdown. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and asking where we're part of – a crucial part of that is not only saying, OK, what was your favorite thing tonight? You know, let's let's have you give a moment to just kind of fangirl at me and just sure. say, you know, what, what you really loved. But also tell me what you didn't like tonight mm-hmm. so that next time – I can make that better for you. Right. You know, if you thought there was too much talking in this in in this game session, you know, you want more combat. Then, hey, when I sit down to write the next game session, I maybe throw an extra or a tougher combat encounter in there. Right, you lend a little more time to that and stuff like that. It's always it's always about revising. Yeah, and sometimes it's revising your style mm-hmm. that you're telling the story, like you were just saying. Maybe sometimes it's revising your boundaries at the table. Yep. You know, maybe people are having too much table chatter. And in that, not only is it a problem maybe for the players, but also that you weren't prepared, that you weren't engaging them. You weren't keeping them engaged in the story. And that can definitely be an issue as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe you were only engaging one or two players at the table with what you were doing. You know, those are all storytelling revisions that you have mm-hmm. to work on. And those are definitely hard things to do as well. But there's also story revisions as well. You can Completely. take place, you know, people are like, I mean, I, I think some feedback I've given you before uh, in, in previous game sessions. Oh yeah. Uh, is I'm lost. Mm-hmm. I legit don't know what's going on in your plot right now. Like I know we fought some goblins today and I know we got some mirrors. Yep. And those mirrors really spooked everyone else at the table, but I have no clue why that was even significant. And so I'm just kind of here swinging at goblins. Funny enough, 
that's one of the things that kind of got me when I was looking at this and they were things that I did poorly in the past and that mm-hmm. was they were a reveal to me as the storyteller but they were not a reveal to the players. Right, right, right. I wasn't right, right. giving the information and, and the thing is is you don't have to reveal the whole history behind something mm-hmm. but it still has to have meaning for why it's there. Sure. I mean it's funny that uh, that you know when you're looking into a story and you have these people who are reading deeply into movies and things like, oh, well, in this scene in the movie, there was a lily in the back corner and that meant it was Easter. What? Okay. So but this, how many this scene is about up, though, it's a know? scene about rebirth. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if it is a theme and you're using that as a theme, like there's snow on the ground and – now there's you know you're you're hearing uh, you're hearing people singing in the background of uh, uh, moving around and now uh, you know when you you come into a room there's a lit tree oh okay so it's freaking Christmas mm-hmm. I know that's going to be a checkoff gun moment like yep. there's a reason why it's Christmas and maybe that's the theme that's being pushed in the background but. It's not revealing unless you use it. What we were kind of uh, jokingly referring to as Chekhov's plot point. Correct, correct. Uh, for those of you not familiar with, uh, with, the, with the term Chekhov's gun, mm-hmm. um, it was uh, the, the theory that if you show a gun in the, in the first act, someone must be shot by it by the third act. Correct. So in other words, don't put extraneous stuff into your plot if you're not going to use it. Don't, don't high detail a moment and then never use it. Yeah. You know, uh, it's – you know, the – there are fantastic uh, cinematographers and directors who use this in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like <laughs> yours says replica and mine says Desert Eagle point, point five oh. oh you know, yeah. Yeah, that gun <laughs> is going to go off at some point. Yep. So those kind of things are happening, but that also goes with anything else. If you've got a character who is dying or an NPC who is dying from a disease or something for three episodes, don't just have them have a miraculous. You know, uh, cure in the end that comes out of you know out of exposition. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 you lose trust. Your players lose trust with you. Like, why were we doing anything about this? Right. And that's that's the big thing. Your story needs to be driven by your heroes. Yes. Your heroes are the focal point of the story. So, if you have miraculous Deus Ex Machina happening on or off camera, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it robs the players of the experience. Yep. They they want to feel like you know like the heroes at the end of the day. They want to feel like the ones who have the power, who resolve things of their wit and their steel and their brawn. Mm-hmm. And if you're just going to have an NPC swoop in or a magical cure or, or a bullet come kill a character, yeah, they're just like oh we did all this for the king or, or we did all this for this this lordship and great. And then the window breaks and the character gets shot in the head and t- killed. And you're like uh oh oh hmm. like. That's kind of a loss. That's 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 silly. That's mm-hmm. that's a that's a terrible way to remove someone from the plot when it's not something that you're aware of. Right. Like on the other hand, if they had let off a villain three scenes earlier who's a known assassin and because, you know, they, you know, they were being righteous or whatever, we saw they saw him get away, sure, that could make a plot point for the next act. Mm-hmm. You know that yeah, he got the comeuppance on them. You know, in that kind of situation, but but he better damn well be your main your main villain exactly right exactly. then and there. Yep. Yeah, you've just set a new Chekhov's gun that you have to do something with. You know. All right, you got another quote written down here that I absolutely love. Do it. I, I love it because I do this. Okay. Scene is vivid and intimate. Summary is distant but efficient. 
Scenes where the writer engages the imagination and creativity of the writer. Everything important should happen in scene. Correct. Do not just gloss over important stuff in an overarching summary. Oh, yeah, this happened and that happened and that happened. Yeah, none of that – all that should literally be history. It should not have anything to do with the plot other Mm -hmm. than setting. If you're – when you're talking about about story, especially in role play, when characters are moving from – Moment to moment, scene to scene. For instance, they just finished a fight out in the woods. They're tired. There's no necessary reason for you to explain them going to bed, getting up the next morning, having each of the players go through high detail of what they're doing to get to the city if literally there is no plot to be revealed. If there's Mm -hmm. nothing being revealed or nothing intimate going to happen between you and your players, then – Step away from it. Do it in a do it in a summary. Make it distant. Make it just happen and move on. And let the next scene drive the next moment. But at the same time, don't have a scene feel useless. Don't just do a fight to do a fight. Mm-hmm. This is why I don't do random encounters in D and D because I think uh, you know. Oh, you were jumped by wolves. Yeah. Why? Are we going to be killed by these wolves? Like, right. are you really going to kill us with wolves when we're on this big heroic journey? No, right. I'm not. I'm right. not, and we both know it. I, I think that's – I'm going to use the word cop-out, but I will say this. There are times when a storyteller is tired who just doesn't have it in them, but all the players are there. Sure. And sometimes you just need to have a moment of pause, and a random encounter can give you that moment of pause. But I still think it's cheap to the players. Oh, it is. It's a bit of popcorn for them to sit in. It's a fart joke. You know, it's it's something to fill the space, mm-hmm. and you can do better. Right, right. As a writer, as a storyteller, you can do better. Now it's worth noting. Um, this is how I this is how I open every single game mm-hmm. for you guys. Yep. Um, so this is actually something one of those like, like oh hey I'm already doing this. Yes. You know? Yep. Uh, is uh, because we we play once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to be able to recap the entire last game session for them just in summary. Yeah. It's usually like three paragraphs long. Hits all the major points. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't gild the lily. I always tell you the truth yep. in the summaries. Yep. You know, so that you come away with facts, not implications. Right. And it's not riddly facts. It's straight up facts. It's straight up facts. You found this. You found this and discovered that the Minister of Finance was doing this. Right. And then I start a little bit of music mm-hmm. and cut immediately to Friday's fourth day of mid-year, third era, 415. The boy sprints into the wilderness and Rigar follows. Metal plates clank against one another as is only and only his magical boots, blah, 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 blah. Right. On and that's there. literally the last thing we had in the previous session because we were still in action. Mm-hmm. And Sarah's like, we need to have a scene follow this up. And we're all like, we need to have a scene follow this up. We, we have a hard <laughs> stop at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it had gone to like 8.15 yeah, already. Pushed, and we, we were pushed, like, yeah. OK, we just we just needed to finish up the combat. But mm-hmm. trust me, we will pick up. Literally right at this exact moment mm-hmm. next game. And so I roll straight from summary into scene to bring it from broad overview down into the intimate level of, OK, so Rigar is tracing – is chasing this kid through the field mm-hmm. and, and, we went and from go there. Yeah. and go. 
Yeah. You know, here's here's the 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 setting for you. You know, the kid is running, and mm-hmm. it goes on to describe how you know that he he kind of loses hope and just kind of loses steam. And Rigar, you know, is big and athletic, so he catches up to him and is like assuring him the whole time, "We're not going to hurt you. We're not going to hurt." Yeah. But that that puts everybody in the mindset of like, "Oh, that's right. This is what was going on. Right. This is an intense scene because you've narrated it as such. And now, okay, we're ready to go." And then that scene progressed. We did some interrogations. We did some other stuff. We had some inner party stuff that happened. And then as that closed, without without much fanfare or anything, we closed that scene mm-hmm. and you, you put us on the path to the next town. Yep. And we just – like as far as everybody was concerned, we were just there. Yep. It was a quiet two hours travel later and you Boom. begin to see the town crest over the next hill. Right. And – that right there is exactly mm-hmm. what summary is supposed to do. It's supposed to move you from scene to, to scene. scene. Yep. So that you can have those moments and in have an impact, have reveals occur in the scenes. Mm-hmm. And that's keep that in mind. Keep make things meaningful. Make your moments meaningful. Um so that your sessions feel full. I'll use that term. Yeah, full. I was going to say productive, but full. Yeah. full is good. Full yeah. is good. Yeah. Um, when you're t- we're talking about focus, one of the things that we both came up with is um, kind of thematic or emotion, and I think this is something that is important on an overarc. And I think it can sometimes get lost is that if you're telling a story, whether it's a one shot or it's a whole campaign, um, try and stick with an emotion. Um, as you're moving through it, don't change that emotion midstream unless there's an active change occurring. You see this in movies where you have like you, you have hope, you have dread, you have concern, you have anxiety, um, you then have revelation, and then sometimes that's followed back up by depression because mm-hmm. because loss occurred, mm-hmm. you know. And these are normal things, but it follows the scene, the lighting. The movement, the character tone, or the 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 the, the character's tone, mm-hmm. the the way things move. You're not just going to shift things without there being a reason in the story for them to shift. The rain is cold and it's daunting, and the ground is muddy, and 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 uh, there are constant puddles that range from a couple, you know, just a barely a centimeter of water to as much as a a, a rut full that you accidentally clobber into because of the darkness and the mist that are crossing the lands. You feel the the misery mm-hmm. of that moment. This is actually something that um, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft has utterly problematic as that man was. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I feel like he did very well in his writing, which okay. was um, – I mean he – trying to describe it because uh, the, thing, the thing that I love that, 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 that he did was describe things as indescribable um, first off and because he was trying to throw you off. And he he created he uh, through his descriptions created a very um, he was very good at just just creating dread mm-hmm. um, by just saying like you know it was indescribably horrible and it was not quite like a mole or an ant or a rotting human corpse or a bat but something indescribably in between right. and you're like how do you even mash together a mole a bat an ant and a right. rotting corpse like right. what what is, and you're but but that's what you your start, brain is doing. Your and creativity starts pulling it together. Even even in the setting of scenes, he would be like, you know, the horrible trees lurked over the horrible trees. 
Mr. Lovecraft, horrible, but this is there terrible they were. creative writing. But there they were. Yeah. You know? I mean, he never it was never a bright, sunshiny day in his world. It no. was always dreadful and oppressive. And yeah. s- there was never a scent. There was a stench, you know? Yeah. But damned if it didn't create the mood. Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, the old, co- um, I should say, the old serialized um, detective stories mm-hmm. had a sound and a feel and a darkness that when they became visual, when they became movies, you already knew how it had to look. Oh, and yeah. if it didn't look that way, it felt weird. Oh, it did. Yeah. You know, you know, you expected the the trench coat, smoke, you know, cigarette lit, dark shadows, hard lines, like because that's how it was described. That's how things felt as you stepped through them. Mm-hmm. And then moving from cinema now back to storytelling in the theater of the mind, we do that. We are, we're forcing your brain back to those images and grabbing bits and pieces. People will see it differently, but the tone sets the moment mm-hmm. so that everybody's on that same page. Absolutely. Sometimes that has to be directed to your player's point of view as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really important because part of that is is – Putting your players into the scene and yeah. addressing them directly. Um, for instance, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Elder Scrolls, uh, I have a Nord in my mm-hmm. group. Yep. Um, and so temperature is not really something – like, I should say cold temperature mm-hmm. is not something that bothers them because they come from a place that snows, I would probably say, 10 out of the 12 months of the year, mm-hmm. if not all 12. Right. And – so when I'm describing temperatures, I'm very keen to say like, OK, well, the hot temperature is not bothering the Khajiit much. Yeah. The rest of you are sweating bullets. And Rigar, you are miserable. Yeah. You are utterly miserable because it is above 70. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know, when they got down in a dungeon and it was cool and it was, you know, out of the sunlight, everybody else was kind of shivering a little bit. And I was like. This is the first time you've been comfortable yeah. in months. There's yeah. barely any humidity. It's it's dry and cold and your skin, you know, the rest of your skin is cracking. Meanwhile, Ragar is sitting there going, uh, why are we making fire? Right, 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 right. <laughs> like it's nice. You know, but but putting them and making them just – what that does, it just makes them part of the scene. It just kind of right. personalizes things for them. And don't be afraid to tell whole chunks of your story like that. Yeah. You know, if they are – if they're – you know, you're, especially if you're exploring a person's, you know, personal backstory or something mm-hmm. like that. If this is a plot arc that directly deals with Rhaegar or Thalian or whoever, right. you know, at your table, get intimate with them. Yeah. You know? Tell them things from their character's perspective. Yeah. Allow everybody else to witness the story through their eyes for a little right. bit. And another thing is is use those backgrounds. If your player is not necessarily good at role playing or knows how to play their character, at least help them with their perspective. I mean if a in, – in two different cases, let's say you've got a group of relatively rich kids effectively who are mm-hmm. playing heroes and they're going to do some some things and become adventurers. Their perspective on meeting a person in an alley to get information is going to be shady and grim and disgusting. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you've got seasoned fighters and maybe a rogue who's been in the shadows themselves, when they come to that situation, they're looking at it as an equal, another professional, mm-hmm. someone who's using the shadows to their guide. And it's a different footing. You're you're gauging, are they dangerous? Have they led us into an ambush? So the perspective change there is different based upon who's 
viewing it. Mm-hmm. And it's not you as the storyteller to force that perspective as your own perspective, but reminding yourself that these players, these characters that these players are in all have a different perspective. So sometimes it's good to grab one of the players and focus on their perspective and then when another player asks a question, shift your mind into that player's mind for a second. Think of how they might perceive this and work from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Give them a different description maybe. All right. I think we're we're getting we're getting to the point where I think we need to uh, we need to grab some questions. Yeah, I think I think we've hit the base level. I yep. think we're good so that we can we we have some grounding to yeah, work yeah, from like at this said, point. We, we weren't we weren't going to unpack no. all of this in one episode. This is this is going to be several episodes, but this is I think the, the good tip of the iceberg here. Yeah, yeah. Um okay. the so I I do want to just finish the discussion by saying this. Yep. Once again, Rome was not built in a day. Yeah. Song of Fire and Ice, Game of Thrones was yep. not written overnight. Nope. Okay. Somebody had an idea. They had a hero and a conflict yep. and, a, and a villain yep. and, and a desire. They laid that down and then they just started asking why and they just started layering things on top of it. Yep. Let the plot drive it. Let the plot drive it. Start so. simple. Let the plot drive it. Sometimes mm-hmm. let your players drive it. Mm-hmm. They find something. You're like, that's good. Let me write that down. They'll ask why for you. And <laughs> when you come right. up with that answer, that's another let plot twist for you. discover. Yep. Don't expose it to them. All right, question time. Yay. I'm excited. All right. Do we want to do we want to move down or do you want to start with that first one? Well, that, you, you tell me where you want to start. Let's start that one last because I, I almost want to put that one maybe into an episode discussion as well, but we can tap it. Okay. We can start. We, so let's start with uh, Overwatch. Building campaigns. As a GM, when putting together a new campaign from scratch, what is your jump off point for getting started? Uh, he's got a secondary question. We'll, we'll answer that one in a minute. Um <laughs> For me, it varies. My jump point might be a theme that I hear or a setting that gives me an idea. Sometimes a song will give me an idea and that might be my jump point, but that is far from where I end up. Like I will I will start writing based upon the weirdest reasons. Um, but when it comes down to actually getting players to the table, I will have an idea of the arc. Just an idea because I don't necessarily know where they're going to fit into that unless I force them into the arc. Um, and I, I create a very directed campaign. But most of the time for my jump points, my my jump point for getting started is is my interest, my intrigue, my creativity. Um, I don't know. How much, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of misunderstanding what jump point uh, what we're talking about here. Um, from a new campaign from scratch, like when you just started talking your, about jump point for writing or jump yeah. point for starting session one, I would say from writing. From writing, um, yeah, I think. I mean, I think what I've said multiple times were, you know, come come up with a conflict. Um, usually, I'll come up with a, a, a fun motivation for a villain mm-hmm. or a, yeah. a fun MacGuffin that might be interesting to to fight over that would have an interesting twist to it. You know, yeah. um, like you know, hey, wouldn't it be funny if there was this magic sword? But really, it was a yeah, you know exactly. And then you just you you cook up a villain who might want that magic sword or you know or something like that. And then you got the you give the heroes a reason to go from that. Um, yeah, usually it's it's. I start with conflict, I think. Okay. And then I look, it makes it I, easy. I look for reasons to start the conflict. Sounds perfect. Or I start with the villain and I look for reasons to – and I think of what, what crap would that villain start. Fair. Favorite table snack? Nachos. Always nachos. And 
sour gummy snacks. You do love your sour gummy snacks. I was almost going to bring you some today. No. Yeah, I was almost going to bring you some because v- Vicky got me some. Oh, my my tongue would not have been able to take it. Like my I, – I put so much Frank's Red Hot on – I noticed. On my on – my I would have warned you beforehand so that you had some stuff coming. Then you would probably would have changed what you did for dinner. <laughs> um, favorite table snack. Honestly, I, I really don't have necessarily a favorite table snack. That I that I would just say right off the bat that I would eat. Um, it it varies. Sometimes I want salty. Sometimes I want something sugary. But it's rare that I want something sugary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if there's Doritos on the table, I will eat them. <laughs> so I'm going to say Doritos. Tra- traditionally Cool Ranch, but I'll I'll eat any Dorito. Fair enough. Good good question though. Good, good question. question. All right. All right. So Vedran is asking, uh, building a campaign. When is the setting ready by your standards? Never. Sketched on a napkin. Map uh, map and some notes. Four volume time life book series. Never. 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 It's I'm never ready. Ro- rolling anxiety attack about it constantly. Yep. D- the setting will never be perfect. Make the story. Yeah. And the setting will come. Yeah. I mean, get it get it based under the world so that you understand it. But settings get so out of hand. They get so out of hand because you can start writing and then you just don't stop writing about the setting. It has nothing to do with the story. It doesn't mm-hmm. drive the story in any way. Yeah. You know, it, it can definitely be great window dressing and you have to explain things. But there's no reason why you can't be explaining those things. You, you, you can't start at a 5,000 foot view of the world is a giant disc on the back of a turtle. It's turtles Boom. all the way down, man. That's right. It's it's it, it's at the bottom. It's more turtles, uh-huh. you know. But you don't have to explain more than that until they decide to look over the edge and say, "Is it a male or is it a female?" Right. <laughs> like, what's what's the important part? You you don't know. Answer it later. Keep going. Exactly. Is that the story? No. The story is about a mage who's got a spell stuck in his freaking head. I mean, <laughs> there know? there are even there are even some some game uh. uh uh, games um, systems that encourage you not to fill in the blanks. Like Dungeon World was very explicit about that. Yeah. They're like rule number one: leave leave maps in your leave gaps in your map mm-hmm. because we'll discover those as we go. Yep. You know, Seven C is has got great setting points, mm-hmm. but they leave so many giant gaps. They don't explain. History is very vague in some places. Um, they left giant holes in other areas. But motivations, individuals were all pretty well flushed out. Mm-hmm. So you had that room to explain. Like there's a whole veil in there that you can step into. And when you get there, literally they left a giant hole there. Like this, there are monsters there that lurk in those shadows between the veil and reality. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, That's what it. they said. There are monsters. There's there. monsters. What Dark kind? monsters. What kind? Mm. There are warriors who fight there, and if you become one of those warriors, the veil. You know the you, you know the challenges of the veil, and you're like, great. I guess I'll have to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. yeah the, the the long the short answer is never. Yeah, never, never. never. Ready. Just just keep just, going. Just roll with it. Just roll with it and fill in the blanks as you go. All right, uh, techno lich. How important is theme to your campaign? By theme, I mean literary sense, overarching emotional response, uh, or commentary on the nature of life. Should tabletop RPGs be more adventure plot focused? Oh, wow. Is this a whole other question? I think it is. Okay. Let's start with that first one. How important is theme to your campaign? I To the campaign, I would say it is it is important. But is not as important as the story itself. I think theme directs the players to a feeling 
that they should how they should be how their character should be feeling as they move through it. Yeah, I think this is one of those things that I do that I don't quantify mm-hmm. that I never think about. Yeah. Um I, I would I would dare say I think a lot of storytellers are like that. Uh where the thing back in my my game, my current campaign and stuff like that, where I definitely, definitely have a theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it changes. I mean there's an overall theme the, I'm okay, getting. So the, 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 thing, the thing about theme is Life sucks, that, get a helmet. That's kind of what I'm getting from here. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, more about, it's more about hopelessness and mercy. Yeah, right, right. Um, and and, and lo- loss of control and a regaining of control. Um, but uh, what I would say is it's, it's kind of like asking which is more important, dinner or the table it's sitting on. Like you might say the table isn't important but try, to, but try serving dinner without a table. And I'm going to blow your mind. Mm. It's the fact that you're having dinner. All right. That does blow my mind, but that's a whole other discussion. So that's that's where I'm saying is that never forget why you're there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, but if you want, I, I, it's it's going to be the difference between a, between a story and a good story, I think. I agree. You can say somebody's having dinner and they're having pizza, mm-hmm. but it's a different thing to say you're having pizza with your family at a dinner table or – we're all sitting in the living room around a game board, shoving the pizza in without thinking about it mm-hmm. while rolling dice. Those are two different themes. Right, 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 right. With very different feelings, it's still dinner. Yes. Yes, so you're right. So that's, that's the thing that I'm getting at there. Um, second part of this <laughs> – second part. Uh, should tabletop RPGs be more adventure plot focused as in paying attention to the series of events or a larger statement theme? No, I don't no. think theme, theme theme should no. never overtake plot. No, nope. but I think plot should be informed by theme. Correct. Your series of events tells the story. Mm-hmm. That's what's the drive is. Like, right. don't don't just let the theme suddenly take over the reason for the plot. Right, you're but, losing focus. But when but when you're like, hmm, what plot points should I put them through? Let your theme inform that decision. Well, I mean, no. Think about it. Like, if you're, I'm here. I'm I'm bending my handle. If if your if your theme is loss, or something like that, okay, experiencing loss, you know, like, uh, okay, for for instance, I I I I thought about this earlier, and I'm gonna have to go real quick because we're we're kind of running short on time here. Uh, One of my favorite games in the world is Silent Hill Two. Okay. Okay. Now that has a very strong theme driven plot. A lot of it is not very spelled out for you at all. Um. Great environmental storytelling, but basically there's this underpinning theme of, yeah, but kind of going on. And I don't really know how to quantify that, but um, kind of loneliness and loss, but self-inflicted wound sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, basically, every main character in that uh, in that, that game is in some way a murderer. They have all taken a life and they've all done so in – what might be considered a justifiable way, maybe under certain circumstances, and a lot of the plot is exploring the motivations behind what they did there. And so a lot of that theme is is just, um, okay, that's great, but I, I, okay, I see where you're going with this. You know, I still think that your your plot design mm-hmm. is your focus. But the theme helps guide you step to step. So I, I'm yeah, with yeah. you. I'm with okay. you. Okay. Um, I know I have my own thoughts on this, but I want to get yours. What are some good ways to incorporate theme without hitting the players over the head? Uh, it's exposition. Yeah. It's, all, it's, it's feeling. 
it's 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 where they're at. It's, it's the rain. It's the the beautiful sunny day. It's the 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 sun breaking the horizon. It's the um, terrible oppressive trees casting long ominous shadows. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Or it's the unicorn showing up on the hillside. Mm-hmm. You know, demanding that you recognize it. Yep. You know, th- those are things that help, you know, it's the lilies. You know, it's the little things that remind your players what's going on mm-hmm. in the background of the story that brings the theme back into place. It's the crying mother, you know, after the fight and you realize that the fireball that went off just blew up a house full of kids, you know. Um, we're not going to hit this question, but it's going to be part of our next discussion, uh, technology. So here's the question. Animals, henchmen, followers, droids – what are some good ways to handle them without becoming time or an energy suck on the game? We both had a discussion about this and it dawned on us that we – these are – this is an element that needs to be discussed but not heavily. Mm-hmm. But I think it's longer than a minute. Yeah, long, uh, longer than a minute. But I, I think your, your short answer – you want to give a short answer? Sure. Go for it. Uh, the, the short answer is they're items. Yes. They're items that have a use. Uh, they should never be heroes. They should never be – have a direct impact on your plot. Um, if you're – Person, if your your person has hired a mage to be a, a, a an apprentice to them, they should be a research assistant that right. gives them Give an them advantage, advantage on research roles, yep. or maybe digs up a plot point or two if directly asked to search yep. libraries. And hey, a, I want I want these scrolls scribed. Okay, great. So you get to also go shopping and have your scrolls scribed because you have an assistant doing it for you. Yep, that's that's it. that's it. That's the simple of it. Yep. So we'll get more into that later. So next week's topic, we're going to continue by talking about developing a one-shot or the milk run. Right. And getting you that opening to try and work with. So as Kate is telling us, uh, <laughs> we're wrapping up today. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave or on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Our Discord is in the Twitter, so uh, please click on that link to join us and uh, add your own comments. It's also in the ep- uh, the uh, episode information uh, notes if you're uh, if you've got access to that as well. Yes, uh, we do want to thank our uh, our Patreon members, all of you who support us, especially Knox in a Box. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for joining us. Um, our intro music is "Beyond the Warriors" by Gooey Frog. Our outro music is "Only Our Footprints in the Sand" by Midair Machine. You can find tracks like this and so much more on freemusicarchive.org. You can uh, come record for yourself here at Podcast Detroit uh, at podcastdetroit.com or Twitter at Podcast Detroit. Our engineer is Kate, and there are uh, open free nights when you can do it here. So check out their site, and you can come record your own stuff. Heck yeah. But most of all, we'd like to thank our friends and our family, Sean and Vicky. Thank you so much for letting us do this and our Patreon members for helping support us in this so that we can keep doing these wonderful shows. And each and every one of our listeners. We love you. Thank you. Good night. Good night.